Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Round two is no joke. This is where we separate the pretenders from contenders. Get some skin in the game with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. They are offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes each day. The best part is that it's free to play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to Pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Cast, episode 614. My name is Paul Garcia and I'm your host here on the Spurs Cast. Today I'll be joined by Project Spurs writer Colin Reed. In this episode, Colin and I will answer off-season questions sent in from Twitter. Let's go ahead and get started. Colin, how have you been? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing well myself. You know, this is obviously, you know, it's it's, it's off-season mode for the Spurs here. So so we want to, um, you know, just kind of get some, some questions I, I asked yesterday on Twitter uh, for those that follow me at Paul Garcia NBA. I just ask, you know, what are some off-season questions you had on your mind? So we got we got a lot of questions here. So <laughs> we're going to kind of just dig into those. But before we, we go through that, those questions, Colin, let's go through the latest news since I last recorded a week ago with Michael DeLeon. And that was the um, lottery coin flip. Mike and I had mentioned how that was about to take place uh, at the time when now it did take place. And so here were the results. Um, the Hornets and the Spurs uh, had, had a coin flip. Uh, to determine who's going to be in, in the lottery order 11th or 12th. And um, the Spurs did lose that, that lottery um, a coin flip. So uh, the way this works is basically uh, as long as the Spurs, uh, if the Spurs get into the top four of a lottery pick, they get to be in the top four, wherever that pick is. Uh, but if they don't, well, then they're going to end up being uh, picking 12th in the first round. So that's where, that's where, that's how that works. Uh, the, per, in terms of their odds, they do have a 1.7% chance of winning the lottery. So getting the number one pick overall, and then an 8% chance of ending up in the top four. So there's a better chance of, uh, of them ending up in the top four. Uh, and then it's, it's notable because now that we're in June, it's about 20 days away. Uh, you and I, you and I are recording this on a, um, on a t- uh, Wednesday evening uh the lottery drawing is going to take place on june 22nd so sometime this month um did you have any comments colin about about just those, those results and things and what's going to happen there you know not much this this 
pretty much locks the Spurs into that 12 spot. The 8% mm. chance of jumping up is pretty low, but also, and I haven't done the quick math here, <laughs> but the chance of them jumping or falling down. So what that would take is the Spurs not jumping up and Indiana mm. or Golden State jumping up into the top four, which they have a 4.8% chance and a 2.4% chance of doing respectively. So the chance of them staying at 12 is very, very high. I would say overall around probably like 90% or so. Um, mm. And then they have a better chance of going into the top four than they do of falling back. So it's probably going to be a pick very similar to where they picked last year. Yeah, so exactly. You know, that's kind of how I'm looking at it on the cap sheet. You know, I'm basically giving them for that cap slot at the 12th pick. And then, you know, ben- Benjamin Bornstein, as I have him on during the summer uh, before the, the draft comes, I'll be asking him more so, you know, targets in that 12th pick area. Just because, again, that's kind of where we think it's going to end up. It's very unlikely. It would be a good thing for the Spurs if they got, you know, a top four or even the, won the lottery. But it's just very unlikely. So we're just going to base it on uh, our, our projections going forward. It's basically we're assuming that they're going to get the 12th pick there. So uh, so we're going to go to just basically jump right into these, these Twitter questions because we've got a lot of these questions um, um, uh, on on Monday or on Tuesday that I had asked uh, Spurscast listeners or those that follow me on Twitter to send these in, and so um, yeah, so let's just d- dive right in, Colin. So again, these are off season questions that um, you know just this you all the fans ha- had, and and Colin and I are going to kind of just give our, our best um, answers and opinions here on some of these questions. So let's first begin with what I'm calling more research based questions because these are questions where I kind of had to dig up some f- information, and, and they're good questions because it's it's really informative, uh, uh, you know, even for myself just learning about some of these players and things like that. So let's begin with the first one. The first one is from. Um, at GZR um, Res uh, Ak, uh, Mayor. I don't know if I read that right. Anyway, the question is, will the Spurs try to extend Lonnie Walker the fourth this offseason? This is a very interesting question. So let's just get some quick background here on, on the situation for Lonnie. So we know that he's guaranteed this coming season, uh, uh, upcoming season. However, the Spurs can um, um, extend him, and then that would prevent him from becoming a restricted free agent next offseason. So next summer, Lonnie can become a restricted free agent if the Spurs don't uh, extend him. Uh, we have seen the Spurs um, extend um, other first-round picks recently. Uh, and this is something Bobby Marks noted in his offseason um, piece on the Spurs. Uh, we know that um, you know they did extend DeJounte Murray, uh, a four-year, $64 million deal when he was up for the extension. They extended Derek White just last offseason with a four-year, $70 million deal. And Bobby noted um, that the Spurs always would take until the final day before the deadline to make these extension um, uh, announcements. And so basically the Spurs have until the, the day before the regular season begins to extend Lonnie Walker. So they have all, you know, through this whole offseason. But then right before um, the, the regular season begins is when they have to make that decision if they're going to extend Lonnie. Uh, we did see, though, recently that the Spurs did not extend Yaka Pirtle um, because, you know, he was a big and, and they basically took their chances in the in the restricted free agent market. And, and we saw that, you know, no, no teams gave Pirtle an off, offer sheet and he quickly re-signed with the Spurs close to that MLE um, a level. Now something Bobby, Narks, Bobby Marks also noted was that he kind of gave a projection of a kind of salary Lonnie could expect from a um, extension which is in the 10 to 12 million dollar range so maybe we're, we're assuming maybe like a four year 40 million dollar uh, contract or a 44 I mean 48 for four, four years kind of kind of deal here. So Colin what's your answer here for this first question? Do you think the Spurs will try to extend Lonnie this offseason? I I don't think so. You know, I know that the Spurs have offered a couple of extensions in the past couple of seasons, and that actually is is something that they didn't really do in recent history before that very often. You know, they didn't even extend Kawhi Leonard, which there was reasons for that with LaMarcus Aldridge Mm -hmm. being available the next summer and stuff like that. But really, it's not something they were typically want to do. And I think if you look at the situations, um, there are two big reasons why... Uh, DeJounte Murray and Derek White got extensions. And I think it's because there are 
like factors that made them give them extensions is mm-hmm. the reason why they're the exception and, and players like Jakob Perto and Lonnie Walker are not. So for DeJounte Murray, he was coming off an injury, so they're able to sign him to an extension at a number that they, I'm sure, felt like was cheaper than what his market value should be. So they're able to get him on a good deal um, coming off of his injury. And then Derek White, this summer, there's going to be a good amount of teams with cap space, but not a lot of quality point guard depth on the market. And Derek White is a player who, with his skill set, can fit into a lot of teams. So he is a player that would have a high asking price in restricted free agency. So having him locked in and not hit restricted free agency is a safer bet if they want to keep him long term versus a player like Jakob Pertl or Lonnie Walker, who they can probably take it to restricted free agency with. And if if the asking price gets too high, they might part with the player, kind of like they did with Kyle Anderson, mm-hmm. um, which took what three or four seasons before that looks like a bad move you know (laughs) and then um so so honestly i don't don't think so i think that the reason why they extended Derek white and dejounte murray was just kind of a situational thing Mm -hmm. um and i think that they that they look at all of the young guys as potential parts of their future but i think those two in particular are really viewed by the team as like foundational pieces of what they're building going forward yeah, and I I feel like in a way like just to 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 the amount of work that that um or the, the amount of seasons that Derek and uh, Dejounte had already played, you kind of knew where they were kind of projecting to go in their careers at that point. Kind of, I, I know it's like a weird thing to say, but like Lonnie, it's, it still seems like he's really like you know he hasn't quite fa- quite found exactly what he's going to be as a player. Uh, you know, he's still young, and I think the one thing we can say that he has is, is definitely the three point shooting. That's like his main staple. We you know we see the the athleticism, the ability to attack, but it's that's probably like the the the, the part that's not consistent. We see you know on defense, uh, his his numbers weren't, weren't, weren't uh, you know were struggling a little bit this this past season and so you know uh, i'm also wondering because i know bobby uh, marks mentioned this in his piece that you know it's up to, to lonnie too and and his agent you know if, if they want to you know sign for that amount 10 to 12 million or if they would think they can get more next offseason when um when more teams should have more cap space you know and there's a there's a, a bigger free agent uh group so so yeah I, i'm i'm also um i don't know I, I think if it's 10 to 12 million they might take that chance uh, so I, I'm, I'm more so you say no, but I'm, I'm more so in the maybe category here. I think that there's, okay. there's, if it's for that amount, 10 to 12, I think that they could do it. And again, it's only if Lonnie would agree to that and if the Spurs offered it, but I'm not so sure because again, like I said, I feel like they still want more time to see if they can get him to be more consistent, you know, in, in learning how to attack and things like that. Those areas that, that, he, that he's need to, that he's going to work on, uh, going forward. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of more so a, it's a maybe for me. If again, it has to be that amount. If it's anything more than that, I don't think that, that, uh, the Spurs would offer that or, uh, you know, and I don't think, you know, we'll see exactly if, if he signs it. So that's a, that's a good question. Again, that's, yeah. that's something to watch. This well, you season. actually asked me the same question about Derek White a year ago, and I gave all the same reasons for no that I just gave about Lonnie Walker. Oh, you said no? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, well, but, but you were, you actually felt a lot stronger about it being yes for Derek White in that situation, given all of the reasons that he did eventually sign. Um, so you, you swayed me on that. I remember we had the same conversation a year ago about Derek White, but I, I kind of agree with the whole maybe. I kind of, yeah, I, I feel stronger about this one not happening than mm-hmm. I did with Derek White when I was eventually able to be swayed. And then we yeah. were both right. That was cool. <laughs> For sure. But but like you kind of understand what I was saying, right? Like I felt yeah. like DeJounte and Derek, we knew exactly like kind of what, what they were as players or what yes. they were head, they were going to be. Whereas Lonnie, he's still like almost like an open book in a way. But, you know, and so I don't know if the Spurs are ready to, you know, invest for four years in that in a contract for, for a player like that. And uh, again, like I was more sure about Jakob not getting extension just because I felt like, you know, the big man position is one of those positions where you're not you're not going to get a lot of, um, you know, uh, qualifying offers for, for, for uh, you know, uh, a player like Jakob at the time. So that's why, you know, the Spurs were able to retain him. So, again, it's a 
it's an interesting question. We'll see. I already forgot that I, that I that I thought that uh, Derek would get that extension. And again, the Spurs are like like Bobby Marks noted here. The Spurs are going to probably keep us in suspense because, like he said, the last two times they did this with, with Derek and, and Dejounte, they waited until the final day to make that announcement. So so you know we could be waiting all <laughs> off season to see it, to see what happens. So again, we'll see. Um, all right. So our next question comes from um, at Paul Ovilra. Uh, his question is: uh, Were the pre All Star break defensive numbers for real? And can this group really be a top defensive team? So let's just give you uh, just provide some data here. So um, uh, pre All Star break, the Spurs were the fifth best defense according to cleaning the glass, holding opponents to one hundred nine point six points per one hundred. Uh, after the All-Star break, this team just completely fell apart uh, defensively, and that we're going to talk about the reasons for that. Um, they ended up being 24th after the All-Star break on defense at 115.5 points per 100, according to Cleaning the Glass. And again, the reason why I say Cleaning the Glass uh, for SpursCast listeners uh, is that Cleaning the Glass is, does take out garbage time uh, kind of minutes, so a lot of this data is more the competitive minutes. So overall, the Spurs were a, the 13th-ranked defense, according to Cleaning the Glass, at 112.8 points per 100. So let's just, before uh, I have Colin answer here, let's just give some, some context here uh, about that pre-All-Star number and then the post all number. So pre all number, we know that the schedule is a lot easier for this team. Uh, they were they were relatively healthy aside from missing um, uh, Derek White for the for the beginning of the season. Uh, and then also you got to keep in mind that Lamarcus Aldridge is part of that group because he was on the team uh, playing a lot of minutes at the, the beginning there for the beginning of the year. Uh, post all star break, uh, we do know you know the circumstances for this team. They they ended up. Um, well, pre-Ulster break also, they, they got COVID those last two weeks before the All-Star break. So that's also something to, to note as well. Um, but it was late, later, right before the break. Post-All-Star break, we know that this team, had the schedule was just grueling for them. They had a tough, um, you know, uh, opponents that they had to play. They uh, they had no um, consecutive days off from All-Star break all the way to the end of the season. And then we know that the, that the injury bug um, hit them. Multiple players were out, especially Derek White. They lost him those last two or three weeks of the season. So that's some context about those numbers. So, Colin, go ahead and take uh, the answer first. Uh, what do you think? Uh, was that was that real for this team, the pre-All-Star break? defense and would you think they can be a top defensive team next season i think it's somewhere in the middle you know i think that mm-hmm. not only there's just the the dichotomy of what the season was before the all-star break and what the season was after the all-star break is just so stark in comparison to best case scenario easy schedule you know things went fairly well better than expected over the first couple months and then the second half of the season was the exact opposite, just completely disastrous. Most of the things that you would expect to go wrong did go wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, they looked, we, we talked about that on the Spurs cast, they looked gassed from mm-hmm. a week or two after the All-Star break, which would have been their break, and they, they didn't stop looking gassed the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but it's hard because before the All-Star break was so favorable for them. Mm-hmm. So to me, I do think that they could, they have the foundations for an elite defense, because I do think that when you have perimeter defenders like they have in DeJounte Murray and Derek White, and you have a center that is as good on defense as Jakob Pertl, you can have a very high level defense. Um, will it be fifth over the course of an entire season? I, I think it could be if they got lucky. I think that they probably are closer to that five to 10 range where five is the ceiling for what the season was. And Mm. and maybe more of the seven to 10 is more accurate of who they are. And I think that the 24 is just what it looks like when the wheels completely fall off. Okay. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, a little bit kind of like you or or I'm like more so like in that, you know, right late, late, late 10th um, and run that area, like eight to like 
to like 13th, I would say, is, is where I'm at right now. And, and there's a number of factors here. Um, part of it, like we said, you, know, you, you just basically explained it very well there uh, about how, you know, how, how big of an impact the schedule was. And also is the fact that like we don't know exactly who's coming back uh, and who can make this team better or worse on defense. You know, if uh, somebody like DeMar DeRozan leaves, well, then I think that they, they um, you know, it depends who they, who they fill in for his spot and, and you know, who, who they signed this offseason, uh, whether that those players are going to help help the team defensively because they can get better defensively. But like you have you've mentioned before, um, you know, this team needs shooting. And if you're going to add shooting, there's not many three and D players out there. So you're going to probably take a hit on defense with whatever player you're bringing in. You're probably bringing some a shooter who's going to probably be a, a liability on defense, uh, you know, unless your team scheme is very good. And so, um, you know, that's why I say I, I'm more so like I wouldn't say they're going to be a top five defense right now, just based on what I see. But I, I'd say more so I mean, it could, could definitely crack the, the t- top 10 where they're like, you know, like I said, like eight to like 13, somewhere in that range is where, is where I'm thinking initially again, without knowing who's coming back. Cause yeah, they have, they definitely have the foundation there and, and they know, you know, they like, like Mike and I talked about last week when we did our season review on this team, they know they, they're finally getting back to those tenants of the Spurs um, basketball and defense where, you know, they're, they're not fouling much. Uh, they're doing a good job of forcing teams to take mid rangers. You know, they're just, they're doing all those, those old components, you know, um, 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 shuffling players into Jakob Pertle and he, and he's in, he's there as, as their anchor defensively. So yeah, it, it, for me, it's more so like for right now, from what I see on paper, uh, and then the possible moves they can make, I, I feel like they're they're more so like in that right around top ten, but not quite top five in, in my opinion. I'd have to see exactly who they bring in uh, for for that to happen. Okay, our next question comes from um, at Kel seventy nine, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and apologize now to to, to at Kel because I do want to address this question at a future date. Uh, his question is um, uh, free agency targets uh, question mark. So so basically, he's asking you know what what free agents are are, are we looking at uh, for the Spurs this offseason? And the reason why I say um, I want to address this again as well is because I am building a huge um, free agent database. That I'm going to plug here toward the end of the episode on analyzingtheleague.com, one of our other sites for Project Spurs Network. And um, so until until I get like more data and I start really um, uh, getting that that system going, I, I'm not really going to have a quite uh, a a, a, a ready answer for you but i have some names that i just kind of jotted down but colin i'll let you go first um who, who just you know again if you also want to put some more research into this i know it's really early uh just initially who are some names that, that you've thought of sure so so i know that i had talked about um kind of in the discussion that we we're having among the the project spurs people i had talked about duncan robinson being a good fit mm-hmm. in terms of just the shooting is just something that they are desperately in need of right now um and and i think that they have the kind of cap space to sign a free agent like that this summer if if they ever would, just because they're going to have to throw kind of a huge offer sheet his way and see mm-hmm. if Miami is going to blink or not. And Miami might just be willing to match everything just because of what that kind of shooting does for their team. But the Spurs are not really ever going to have this kind of cap space again to have the opportunity to overpay for a restricted free agent, which for a lot of the restricted free agents that people get super excited about, the Spurs are going to have to overpay <laughs> mm-hmm. because they're going to have to convince the previous team. If they're a good player, the previous team probably wants to keep them uh, with the exception of like Laurie Markkinen as someone that they've been linked to who it yeah. does seem like the Bulls and Laurie Markkinen are probably heading their own ways now. But for like John Collins and for Duncan Robinson, these are, these are players that the original teams will probably want to keep, especially given both of these players performances post trade deadline um, when John Collins name is at least brought up. So it, it the Spurs are going to have to overpay if it's a restricted free agent. My favorite of the restricted free agents is Duncan Robinson, just because I I know that there's been a huge discussion over the Spurs' lack of, lack of depth at big over this past season, mm-hmm. which, to, like, I get it and I don't, just because when you have a big who is so good at most big things, like Jakob yeah. Pertl, like, he's not as skilled as, like, Nikola Jokic, of course, but when, when it comes to, like, 
general big roles. He fills that so well mm-hmm. that I feel like the the big wings who can shoot well are like way more valuable to this team right now. Um, so so yeah, basically shooting. Uh, you know, you you had kind of a couple of names that you threw out to me that I that I definitely agree with. The Evan Fournier's. You know, mm-hmm. shooting and size on the wings is really I think their best bet, which. Uh, those are hard players to come by, but when they have the kind of cap space they do this offseason. And I also think if DeMar DeRozan walks, which this would be a good reason to maybe keep DeMar DeRozan, they're going to be incredibly light on creation. And, oh, and they yes. really need a player who can make shots for himself and for others because that is going to be a huge struggle for this team if DeMar DeRozan leaves in the offseason. Yeah, so you know, you know, just like you mentioned there, you know, I, I jotted down just a few names, but again, I want to give this more more time to to really um, dig into some more of the data and, and get get a better list together uh, for you um, at Cal seventy nine. So, um, yeah, so you know, just some players. So like, if we're talking about shooting, uh, uh, just players that Colin just mentioned there, Duncan Robinson, I wrote down, um, Evan Fournier, uh, maybe somebody like Malik Monk, uh, Gary Trent Jr. I've always thought was a good shooter. Um, you know, that's again to, to cover that you're shooting. If that's what if that's where the Spurs want to focus, if they're looking, you know, just to give it a shot, I, you know, because they're going to have max cap space if Kawhi Leonard, um, you know declines his player option just give him a call see what he says you know his agent <laughs> you know i don't think it'll happen just because of how things ended but you know you just never know so you know definitely you just want to at least make one pitch at Kawhi if that's the case just imagine him you know build uh you know back back as the, the core piece uh you know if they if they if they really um, want to, you know, DeRose is not a bad player to bring back as well. You know, like you mentioned, if they're, they're not going to have a lot of shot creation if he leaves. And so maybe if they want to ro- roll it back for, for a year or two uh, with DeRozan as, as, as the primary ball handler, uh, they could they could look at him. In terms of those younger bigs, um, you know, Markinen and Collins definitely, uh, you know, th- uh, give them restricted free agent um, offer sheets. Give them offer sheets, should I say. I don't think that – I think for sure now the way they're playing the Hawks, um, I think Atlanta's going to match anything that Collins gets. Whereas Markinen is definitely way more gettable. I think that, you know, the Bulls might, might, might be willing to, to – to let him uh, walk to a different team. And then, you know, just to shore up some, some defense and rebounding, maybe looking at somebody like um, Rashawn Holmes is, is a good name there. So again, I haven't quite gone into the, um, you know, done a lot of research here on, on this question, but I do definitely want to tackle this question as the offseason goes along. Another play, player I wrote down was just somebody like Otto Porter Jr. Just kind of give you some three and D there on the wing, uh, a big wing who could either start at the, at the three or, or, or even play some four and then, or even come off the bench and, you know, just gives them, gives the Spurs um, some, some more depth and can, can be a, a good three point shooter, uh, you know, for, uh, a season so again those are just some initial names but again we'll kind of dig in more as the um, offseason goes along our last uh, research-based question here uh, from twitter came from at um kxng underscore um uh, shots their question is uh what are your thoughts on jared vanderbilt with the spurs uh, so just some background on Jared Vanderbilt. Um, he is a six nine big uh, a restricted free agent. Uh, if the ten- the Timberwolves make him a restricted free agent um, for two million dollars, uh, was the qualifying offer for him? Uh, ADC he's mainly a big who scores near the rim. Eighty seven percent of his shots come near the rim, according to Cleaning the Glass. He, he's more so known for his defensive presence. Two point one percent block percentage, which is the sixty sixth percentile amongst bigs. Two point three percent steal percentage, which is in the ninety seventh percentile amongst bigs, according to Cleaning the Glass. And then he's you know slightly above average on the boards, and then uh, he. Does does foul a little bit too much here on defense. That's one of his, his uh, main weaknesses areas. And then um, 66% of his minutes were at the four this um, this past season with the, with the Timberwolves. So, Colin, do you have any uh, thoughts on, on, on Jared Vanderbilt? Yeah, so, so my big thing here is that I just um, kind of going back to, obviously, I'm very, very high on the role that Jakob Pertl fills on this team. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't think the Spurs need another defensive specialist at big i really do think they need a big who is more skilled more stretch more creation type of player um 
you know, and, and one of the things that we are seeing around the league is where you, you have this four that you can play next to a defensive center like the John Collins and Clint Capella. Then what the Hawks sometimes do is play John Collins at five. And when you have mm-hmm. a skilled big who's maybe not on good at defense, that's OK for him to play the center against bench lineups because you're not going up against as high powered of offensive. So for me, like. I, I I love defense. I love kind of these metrics of players who are defensive specialists. But I think that the Spurs have a couple of defensive specialists uh, in their rotation, especially in their starting lineup. Mm-hmm. And if they are looking for another big, I, I obviously someone who's not a huge negative on defense, someone who can play next to Yaka Pertle. But I think someone who's maybe just offensively skilled, who can shoot threes, who can make good open passes, who can create any sort of gravity, I think is what the Spurs need more than uh a third defensive specialist who is maybe not as solid on the offensive end on the floor in their starting group or in their rotation at all. Yeah, and you know, for for me, it's it's more so about Lucas Demonch's development. You know, you don't want to put another four out there just after he just had a you know basically play behind Rudy Gay uh, this past season, and so um and so I, I really feel like you got to lead that lead the the spot there for, for let him get some minutes. This has to be the season where Luca gets uh, you know as much time to just grow as a player and see what he what he can do in a, in a real role. So I don't think you want to you know put another four there. Uh, you know, if 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 Vanderbilt could could be um you know uh if the if the Spurs could sign him for you know anything you know probably less than like five million dollars, maybe it's not bad to have like as a third big. On, on the team but again you know like you kind of just covered their calling you know, there's not there's no need to, to add so many um extra bigs basically at, at this point uh for this team like like you said there's more probably more so need for um offensive creation uh from from the big spot and that's something like collins and like something like mark and it would help out with the side uh, you know you know in terms of that so, so again i'm not i'm not as high on vanderbilt uh, 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 um, you know, to, to come to Spurs just because I do want to see Luca get a lot of minutes. Lucas uh, Shamanich here. All right, so now let's go to some some other questions that are still from Twitter um, that I got. And these are more so more like open discussion type of questions. So you know, I didn't. I, these aren't going to have like a lot of uh, research and, and you know numbers and data behind them. So the first question comes from at Jas Keller. The question is: um, Aren't all players supposed to be three and D guys now? I, I don't know if, how you want to answer that one. Go ahead, Colin. <laughs> Um, so, so I do think, oh man, I, I looked at this question, I had an answer for it and now it's just becoming the Jakob Pertl love fest for me. I do, I do <laughs> think there is a role for a player like Jakob Pertl who does not shoot threes and creates gravity in other ways. Someone who sets hard screens, someone who rolls to the basket. I think outside of your center, um, and outside of someone who's creating, um, like vertical spacing versus like spacing around the arc. I think basically one through four, yes, the goal is maybe for everyone to be three and D. I do think that you can get away. So I know that everyone talks about DeMar DeRozan's flaw being that he doesn't shoot three-pointers. And I actually think that the creation he brings to this team, and especially creating shots for open three-point shooters, kind of negates some of that. I think that his bigger thing is the defense. If he was like you know, a neutral or a positive on defense— he would fit this team so, so much better, especially if that mm-hmm. other shooters. So you can get away with a player like DeMar DeRozan. Let's say he he had more on the defensive end, but he still wasn't a shooter. You put capable shooters around him, and he's such a good creator. That's totally fine. I mean, that's been the formula with LeBron James his whole career. And he's improved at shooting over the course of his career. But I think shooting plus creation plus a big on the roster who can protect the rim when you're in those matchups is like the recipe for success for me. I don't think you need everyone to be three and D, but I think when it comes to your off guard and your wings, that obviously is something that you would love to have. 
Yeah, and just uh, my answer for this question is just like you know everybody wants a three D player, but there's just not that many players out there. You know, like you said, like not every not every uh, you know good quality shooter is a good defensive player. Like we've just mentioned, a lot of these free agents that if the Spurs target them, these are not going to be guys who are going to probably improve your defense. They're going to be guys that are going to kind of get targeted by the by the uh, by the offense on the other team each night. And so you know you got to kind of build a system where where you're able to cover the holes that these guys are going to create. So so yeah, I know that they're trending toward that, but again, I just don't think that there's enough players out there. And so like you know just you know uh, there's going to be a lot of times to be more shooting more so that the shooting scale is going to be higher rather than, than the defensive skill for all these players and then we've seen though like you know guys have fallen out of the league if they can't play, if they can't just shoot as well like if they're just defensive guys only well then they struggle to stay in the league if they're not making threes and so yeah so again you know you, that's, that's the theory there but like like colin kind of mentioned there's there's just different ways you can build your team and so and then in my opinion just not enough three and d players out there even though that's that's what you want the trend to be um our next question comes from um, at uh, Joswu um, underscore JR2. Uh, the question is, which player improved the most uh, and which player disappointed the most on the Spurs this season? Go ahead and take it. What's your answer? So um, so for disappointing, this is going to be a cop-out answer. I was disappointed <laughs> that we couldn't get Derek White consistently the entire season because mm-hmm. Bubble... Derek was so exciting, you know, and I think that injuries and just the weirdness of the season to no fault of his own just kept that from being a reality. And I think that if the Spurs would have had that for a whole season that they would, you know, they probably would have been a first round out, but they probably would have made the playoffs, honestly, um, just because of the type of player he was in the bubble. Um, so, so it was he as a player in his development did not disappoint the way that the season turned out because of circumstances outside of his control was a little disappointing just because of how good he was in the bubble and how people were just expecting that this is going to be who he is from now on. And, and things like the COVID stuff and injuries just kept that from being a reality. Um, I think a, a big step for um, Luca Samanich coming into the rotation. I think that's, that's huge for him kind of because Last year at this time, we were wondering, you know, what is his future with the league as a whole? Obviously, it had only been one season, but, like, where is all of this going to end up? Mm-hmm. Um, Devin Vassell in his first season played way more than rookies normally do. Um, and I, I, I see your notes, and again, I'm going to continue the, the love train. Jakob Pertl <laughs> had a great season. <laughs> he definitely one of the uh, – to me – you know, just an amazing signing at $9 million a year. Obviously, you don't want to give like a whole bunch of money to a one-dimensional center. But when you're looking at like 9 to $10 million a year for what he brings to the team, that's that's just insane value. And, um, you know, he, he I, I felt that way last offseason, and I feel much stronger about that this season after the, the, the season he had. Yeah, so I'm kind of with you. My, my disappointed answer is also like a cop out. I, I just say it's just the season. It's not just for the Spurs. I think it's just for the whole NBA. You know, the fact that we couldn't get like we don't. Even though yes, the season's about to be finished, we don't know exactly what this data even means because of the fact these circumstances these players were in. They were playing in half empty arenas for the majority of the year. They were they, the schedules were grueling for some of these teams. Uh, the, the you know just catching COVID, a, a brand new disease that you know had never existed in the world until just a, uh, you know just last year. And so I think that that that's probably the most disappointing. Is like we don't know exactly uh, you know what a 
normal season is going to look like in the future. And so even even how these players played and you know the the stuff that they you know their performances, you know, it's not going to quite be there. And, and of course, you know, and and, and that kind of goes to 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 like the injury bug and stuff like that. So again, it's more of a cop out, you know, on my end. Uh, as far as the, the most improved, just kind of what Colin said there because he saw my notes. It is Jakob Pertl. Just the fact that you know, again, you know, he he started out coming off the bench. Um, you know, we saw that just the numbers that he put up on defense, just the way he, he protected the rim, uh, just all, all the different the different d- defensive metrics I've read read throughout the, the entire season. You know, he was one of those players right there alongside like guys like Brooke Lopez and, and uh, Miles Turner at night to night. He was kind of in that place in terms of some of those advanced defensive metrics. So he's just been a really good uh, player to, to improve and become like an anchor for the Spurs' defense. Coach Pop, you know, really complimented him this season and says, you know, their, their defense would not have improved like this without Jakob Pertl's performance. And then also even on offense, you know, Coach Pop talked about how they wanted him to be more aggressive on offense, you know, be more of a threat out there rather than just, you know, being, being a screen setter who just rolls. And he did that. You know, we saw a little, a little floater come into play. He was more aggressive attacking. We saw him get to the free throw line. He had his issues at the free throw line, but then he kind of worked on those toward the end of the year. So I just feel like Yaka became, um, just, just really did a lot, uh, just did, did a lot there for this season to now become basically that, that anchor for the Spurs. And like you mentioned, Colin, you know, I mean, he's basically right at the MLE in terms of the, the, the deal that he, that he resigned with the Spurs for. So, so yeah, Yaka would be my answer uh, for that question. Our next question comes from at bad feeling um, PDCST, so like podcast. Uh, they ask uh, if Pop retires, who would you pick as head coach? Who from outside the organization do you like? Okay, uh, what's your answer? So, just kind of one of the things uh, from listening to other people, kind of like the Nate Duncan idea of right now, if you look at head coaches that are wildly successful, a good place to go is assistant coaches that have not yet been head coaches. So, you look mm-hmm. at the. Um, like Taylor Jenkins having done an amazing job in Memphis. And there's yeah. basically examples like that all over the league. Um, so to me, you know, looking at people on um, the staffs of some of these other successful head coaches, even the Taylor Jenkins coaching staff or the Quinn Snyder coaching staff, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Monty Williams. And if the Suns had mm-hmm. not hired him two seasons ago, if, if they were able to, hire him if he was a coaching free agent i would be thrilled with that um and personally that's just because i really like him as as a human being i don't Mm -hmm. i mean he's awesome as a basketball coach but it'd be fun to have you know just another kind of amazing person uh running the helm for the Spurs. but i think kind of the biggest market inefficiency when it comes to coaching is assistant head coaches who are like not yet discovered and so you like get a list of like the best coaching staffs along the around the league your eric spolstra's uh the raptors coaching staff like all and you just like look at one of these undiscovered you know like you have your chris finches that went to minnesota this year and all of a sudden it looked good so that that's kind of my i guess it kind of is a cop-out answer again but just the unknown assistant coaches on the successful teams that have good coaching right now i think are a really great place to look Okay, the way I read this question was like first the first part of it is um you know if, if Pop retires um who would you pick I guess I was assuming amongst the Spurs assistant coaches so oh, I okay. would have my, my answer you know, just for that's how I interpret it and so my answer there would have been Becky Hammond uh you know if it had to be a Spurs assistant coach so I really feel like uh, uh Becky would be the coach again she's got that experience she's she's been there for a few years now she knows uh you know Pop system she's 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 built a really good rapport there with the, with the younger players especially because like you know guys like Dejounte and Derek and you know they they, they played uh, uh they've been playing there for for a number of years and even some of those younger players were there for her when she was uh you know the head coach 
coach of the um, the summer league team at the at the time. So so that that answer that first answer if it was a Spurs assistant I would pick Becky Hammond. Uh, if it was outside the organization it's kind of like what Colin said I I want um, an assistant I, I don't have a specific name but for me it would be someone from um, Coach Mike Budenholzer's staff um, someone um, one of the assistant coaches there and it'd be someone just to bring that that system that they bring on both ends of the floor where like you know you see the pictures of their practice where like they have the the uh, the, the the X's like uh, so far out of the three point line you know like everybody go to these the, the whole this, the whole spacing thing that they worked on uh, the last two years or three years and then also like on defense just their approach of, of, of the way they play defense and, and the kind of philosophy that they bring in the shots that they want to take away and the shots that, that they will allow and so just kind of seeing what could a coach like that do with this with the Spurs team even though you know they don't have a lot of shooting which we're going to get to that in the question in a bit um, and, and just kind of see see what what kind of a system coach uh, I guess what, what would provide uh, that kind of system for the, for these Spurs players to see how they would adapt uh, uh, with that kind of group so again that's just kind of where, where, where my uh, answer is on that question our next question comes from um, at um, skinny underscore banana. Uh, the question is, should the Spurs build around DeJounte Murray? What's your answer there? So so build around is such an interesting <laughs> kind of concept. Um, I, I don't he, – he's not like a, a generational superstar to the level of like a LeBron or a Giannis or even a Zion where like you are going to base every decision you make on the team to how does this decision – work with DeJounte Murray you know he, he's not that level of player but I do think that if the Spurs see him as a long-term piece they do have to build around him in a sense that he is you know a lead on the defensive end he has made strides on the offensive end but he still has some limitations so for them to have a elite team they are going to have to specifically surround him with players that kind of cover those weaknesses we talked about like maybe catch and shoot off ball shooting uh, creation as some of these things that the Spurs are going to look for in the off season. And there's no coincidence. Why? When, when that is something that is kind of low in general on their team and his creation improved over his career so far, for sure. And this season was the best one for that, but it's still not a strength to the level of, um, you know, that they would, they would honestly need another creator, maybe even a main creator and more off ball shooting, um, if, if he is a long-term piece of this team, but not building around him in the sense of every single decision they make from a team construction standpoint is going to go through, how does this decision affect DeJounte Murray? You know, it kind of building around in terms of covering the weakness, but not in terms of a super duper star, the way that you build around that kind of player. Yeah, I'm with you there, just right there. You know, just you know, they're they're slowly kind of building like around him. Like you know, they're like they're plugging the pieces that that, that they feel is going to best um, work with this teams. That's going to help out Dejounte when he's you know either on the ball or off the ball, um, especially on defense as well. Who's going to be next to, next to him on his sides uh, out there on the wing? But again, they're they're not going to you know like like again like they're not targeting point guards like we know that because like that's like his position right. So so we know that that they're not going to you know do that. Whereas you know they're still going to plug in their holes of, of where they want to address it. Whether it's like like you mentioned you know getting a, a shot creator, somebody like maybe like resigning Demar. Or maybe adding some shooting, you know, to help out Dejounte since uh, you know he, he's not a, not a volume shooter, or or maybe getting a, another uh, defensive big, you know, like a, 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 a four to play alongside Dejounte and Jakob. So it's more sort of complement the team. But I wouldn't say like you said, you know, since he hasn't like made an All Star, like he's not all all NBA level, um, you know, if, if unless that had happens in the future, well, then I just feel like again they're they're not going to solely just build it around uh, him him specifically, but more so kind of plugging the pieces around him and you know Kelton and, and these other young players, Derek White and all those kind of kind of players, Jakob Pertl. So. So again, that, that's kind of where my answer is on that one. Uh, our next question comes from um, at TJ uh, Era Mill um, zero one. Question is: Are the Spurs aware of the three point line? What's your answer there? 
So I, I think they're aware of its existence on one side of the court. Uh, they scored 14 threes in games nine times a season, and their opponents did it 26 times. So I oh, think wow. they understand that the opponents have a three-point line and how damaging that is to them. But I, do, I don't know if they also know that their side of the court has one as well. Um, but yeah, cer- certainly that is the biggest need for improvement, um, which, you know, no one likes the I told you so or whatever. It, it is it is funny that this becomes an issue this summer after <laughs> all of the complaining we heard about yes. Marco Bellinelli and Bryn Forbes last season. I know. And then they're gone and oh no, what the Spurs have no shooters. What's going on? Why are they bad at three-point shooting? I don't know. The guy that just scored more points than Jimmy Butler in an NBA playoff series uh, walked away and fans were incredibly happy about that. And like Maybe Bryn Forbes wasn't a perfect fit for this team, but he obviously brought skills that this team needed. And I I think that uh, that was maybe a little bit overlooked during his tenure with the Spurs. And and the Spurs are maybe missing that a little bit right now. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, I think it was Mike and I, or just the week before we we discussed that here on the Spurs cast, was like, yes, there was improvement defensively, but we saw that the scale tipped the other way where, you know, three-point shooting, all of a sudden they're they're in the 20s this year in terms of rank. So, like, they weren't very good. They weren't a very accurate team. And we saw that. And so, and also you see see what Brent Forbes is doing with Milwaukee right now. And he's playing a different role than what the Spurs had him in uh, as well. That's a big part of it. So, I really feel like, yes, they are aware of the three-point line. And that's why this is a huge summer for for a lot of these young players. You know, we know that, you know, Derek White's going to make his threes or shoot the threes, um, you know, Devin. Vassell's got it. Lonnie Walker's got it. That's three players out of the players returning. Because again, we don't know if Patty and Rudy Gay are coming back. So all of a sudden, this becomes a huge summer for players like Dejounte Murray, who has commented that he wants to work on his three-point shot. Uh, Keldon Johnson, we saw you know teams leave him open. Uh, younger players who are going to get some minutes most likely next season. Guys like Trey Jones, uh, he needs to add that to his, to his arsenal because that's not something that he he goes for that shot. Uh, Lucas Simonic again, if he gets an increased role next year, that's going to be something that that he he takes threes, but again, he, is he going to make them next year? That's going to be a huge question. And then uh, you know, and then you still got two bigs out there who don't usually shoot threes and that's Jakob Pertle and Drew Eubanks I don't expect Pertle to, to develop a three-point shot but you know Eubanks has shown that, that that he's worked on it so again would he would he be willing to start to start taking some uh in game so yeah I, th- I feel like um you know it's just a big summer for a lot of these players because you know there's a lot of these players that are coming back that played this year and again they don't they don't have that shot that the, the volume there and, and the accuracy so that's that they have to work on and again I think the Spurs will address it as well with free agency they'll try to look for um you know some players as well to add uh, through free agency like you and I talked about some different shooters and so so yeah it, it's, it's a huge issue and I, I feel like yeah like definitely like that that was the, the main area this year where they got outscored was that three-point line um you know so, so that's something to, to watch definitely and so yeah uh, let's go to our last our last question here. This comes from at uh, Toby underscore Simmons. Uh, the question is: Would you bring back Patty and or Rudy? If so, for how much? Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so I can I can see your notes here, but I actually in an audio piece I did about the offseason exactly agreed with you for Patty for the room exception. Honestly, I do think that is a little bit of an underpay, just kind of considering that he does have the the most valued skill of shooting right now, and and he has his weaknesses, but he really can do things that that help a bench unit. But I also think that Patty is someone who's a willing for the Spurs to wait to see how this offseason shakes out. And B um, you know, we saw last year in the bubble, he kind of stepped back and took more of a mentorship and a coach approach really. And he played when they needed him to play, but he wasn't even expected to play at all. And he came and I think, you know, I, I don't know if he's okay with that role, but I know he's, he's not, you know, so upset by it that, that it caused him to have issues with the team. And, just knowing what his relationship has been with this team and with the players who have retired, I, I would imagine that he 
would like to continue that role versus mm-hmm. going somewhere else that might not be as good of a situation. So I, I actually do think that Patty will probably be back. And I think that the room exception is a perfect amount for that, even though he could probably get more if he were to go somewhere else. Um, Rudy, that one's a little bit tougher because of mm-hmm. the situation that I just said with the waiting. Rudy, I think, could get offers from some of the contenders just because he is a wing who maybe isn't going to play for them all the time. But in like spot playoff series where his specific skill set is better than other bigs or other wings in their lineup, they can bring him out and play him. That's something that I feel like we've seen contenders do quite a bit where there are players um, – who don't play a lot during the regular season, but they'll play a lot during one playoff series just because they're right for that matchup. Um, and I think that Rudy Gay could be that player for a contender, and especially because there are players out there who it seems like the Spurs are interested in who are restricted free agents, the money that they could uh, want to use for Rudy Gay, even though they do have bird rights on him, but th- the money that they're that they're going to be looking at is going to be tied up for the first couple of days on free agency while they're waiting yeah. for these offer sheets to go through. And so is Rudy going to want to sit around and wait to see what the outcome of that is? I think yeah, maybe, but I think that he's going to have offers out there that, that could cause him to look, not because he's unhappy, but just because he'll have a, a role on a team that could win it all, in my opinion. Um, kind of the break glass in case of emergency type of player. Uh, Wesley Matthews was a player that I was trying to think of in terms of like just fills that role very well for the Lakers this season. And I feel like we've been seeing that a lot over the past couple of years of just these players who don't play a lot, but then they, they just work for certain playoff matchups and they end up being really valuable. And I think that uh, Rudy could fit that for either LA team, the Brooklyn teams, like or, uh, the Brooklyn team, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just that kind of thing. So, so I, I do think that he could get a look from a good team before the Spurs know exactly what they're doing at that off season. And that makes the chance of him coming back quite a bit lower to me. Okay. So, so for my answer here, um, you know, when it, when it, they're asking me specifically, like, would you bring back Patty or Rudy? So if I got a jam here in this scenario, uh, I, I wouldn't just because I, again, I want to see what Trey Jones can turn into. I want to see what, what Lucas Shamanis can do. And, and again, those two players being back, uh, might, might get in the way. However, do I think the Spurs might bring one of these two players back? Yes. I agree with you. I think that it might be Patty, uh, could be, you know, around the room exception that amount. And I, I did get, I just want to credit Bobby Marks because I did get that, that, that number from him as well. He was kind of projecting that, uh, uh, Patty might, might be, um, you know, the room exception might be, might be the amount for Patty, which is about five million dollars uh whereas rudy I, you know i'm kind of just projecting he's more like an mle player only because you know all there's not a lot of cap space out there and the teams that are going to be you know it's going to be most of the contenders that are going to want him um this offseason and so those teams are going to all mainly have the the, the, the mle which is about 9.5 million dollars so again I, I wouldn't expect him uh to come back to the spurs but you know it wouldn't shock me if patty resigns just because you know like you said you know the, the the ties to the organization all the years the culture that he's built uh here here with the spurs and how he's just part of the community and, and part of the city uh you know and, and you could just see patty you know signing like a three or four year deal and, and just you know like you said you know maybe even re- re- reducing his role and just kind of helping out more so in like that player development uh part of, of helping the younger players as they come along and then you know eventually you know retiring and then getting his his uh you know just just re- retiring so yeah so again uh I, I wouldn't be shocked if patty um resigns so 
Yeah. So again, thank you, Spurscast listeners. Uh, those of you and those of you that follow on Twitter um, for sending us those questions. You know, we'll definitely um, start start doing more of this uh, as the off season's here because you know there's not much going on yet until the lottery comes and then the draft and then of course free agency not until August. So it's quite a ways away. So before we close this this, um, this episode out, don't forget to visit ProjectSpurs.com. Uh, we have a promotion as we've mentioned um, with Sabotage Wrestling. Uh, it's the Sabotage Wrestling presents the Thrill of It All live Sunday, June thirteenth at five o'clock p.m. It is at the Vibes Event Center on one two one one East Houston street in san antonio texas 78205 if you want um, more information visit sabotage uh uh, uh, uh slash um wrestling.com um three winners get two tickets each uh, so again quote tweet the episode and we'll randomly pick uh also make sure you're visiting project spurs because uh, benjamin bornstein's get, getting prepared for the draft um he has his latest prospect watch over matthew hurt uh, and, I, and i'll continue to um, speak more often with ben because you know as the draft approaches i want to give and I, I know some of you all might have had some questions um that you sent in about the draft and i, I purposely saved those uh just for, for whenever i have been on because i want to make sure that, that we get his opinion on those and then also like i mentioned earlier in, in the episode um, i am building this huge um free agent database 2020 2021 free agent database it's going to be over on our other site for project spurs network called analyzing the league.com so again uh, i'm working on a Daily. so as soon as it's all finished uh, you know it's already up there you can kind of look at it right now it has players listed by their cap hold and then another list has players uh, free agents listed by their height uh, and i'm adding something like you know career three-point percentage and then some, some different defensive metrics so again uh for me it just gives me more background on, on all the free agents not just um you know the specific ones we're looking at for the spurs so thanks again to colin for joining me here on the spurs cast and to michael de leon for mixing and producing this episode from all of us at project spurs stay safe and have a great day Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.